0: Hebrews chapter 12, last week we began the chapter, we saw that the writer was referring back to the great cloud of witnesses in chapter 11, parading out a whole series of individuals that would uh, that went through all kinds of things, I mean, we see trials, trials and trials perseverance is not one size fits all that we all go through things we all go through different things and yet there are certain underlying principles in god's word that he brings forth that apply across the board and and so what he's doing is saying let's run this race he uses the metaphor we looked at that looked at the fact that if there is a theme in Hebrews chapter 12, it's that we endure in trials. It's that we endure. Uh, the word is used, and I was looking at different translations, sometimes four times, sometimes five times, but it's used a lot in this chapter. We're going to see it again this morning. And so, interesting, we look as we go our lives, uh, as Christians, we understand that We will never come to a state of perfection in this life. And yet, God's work in us is to increase our discernment about spiritual things and and to cause that to continue to develop. He uses difficulty, he uses trials, he uses these things for our good, to train us. That's what we're looking at. Loving discipline is really part and parcel of the Christian life. It's not optional. It's something that's God's will for all of us. Uh, It's something that as he matures us, we begin to take a different look at the things we go through. Rather than asking God to remove them, we begin to ask him to teach us through them. Uh, That's really his revealed will in this. And the passage that we're in outlines a primary process which God employs to transform our lives, to conform us to the image of his son. So we looked at these people in Hebrews 11, and then we've looked at the first part uh, of Hebrews 12 as we are looking at what it is to trust God in these things, to run the race to rid of the things that bog us down. He talks about sin and weights. We looked at that last week. Uh, Yes, of course, sin will trip us up. Sin will hinder us in our spiritual life. But also there are things that are not sin that can hinder us, things that can slow us down, things that are not necessarily sinful, and yet they're weights. They're things that will cause us to be lagging behind in this race. Again, I'm not going to go through it again, but but really, that's the context within which we look at this passage this morning. Um, essentially, that he's laid out the course of our lives, and we are learning to endure in the midst of that course in our lives, in the midst of the race that we're running. So the question is, is how do we make it in a broken world? Through the trials. We all have issues. If you don't have them now, you will, or you have had and, and we all go through things and we go through it matters of health. We go through financial difficulties. We go through periods of loss of a loved one or, uh, relationship issues where things get broken and, and all of us have to face these things, don't we, as we go through and as we live this life. We're not immune to that as Christians. However, we do learn to look at things and to walk differently as children of God, as people who are People belonging to Jesus as we walk this life, as we walk through, we can look different. And that's God's will is that we do look different, we do respond differently, we do wear up under trials. And that's the point of this. The the Hebrew believers in the first century were going through tough stuff. We talked about that a lot, but it's so important that we understand we keep with the context of what the writer's getting at here. He's training these people, he's teaching these people. Look. I know you've had a lot of loss. I know that you are going through it. I know that persecution is on the rise. I know that things are tough and I know that Jesus hasn't returned yet because they expected by then he would. 30 years, this is 30 some years after the cross. And, and so what he's saying is in light of all of that, I want you to to understand the proper way to look at the thing going through. By way of application, can have, can just gain great understanding as to what God's heart is in trial and what our needs to be in trials because we're either at the effect of it or we're saying, Lord, I, I get that you're doing something here, and, and we respond again differently. So, about 30 years before this time, where these, the, the writers writing to these Hebrew believers, when Jesus was teaching up in the upper room, uh, I, I love the Gospel of John. We were in it for, what, a year and a half, almost two years. Uh, but it, after the Last Supper, uh, John chapter 14, verse 31, he says, come, let us go from here. This is after he had given all of that instruction, that last five hours of his life. And, and, and in the middle of that, they finished supper and he said, let's, let's go from here. He would eventually end up in the Garden of Gethsemane. But I believe, if you were in that study, you remember, I believe that where he went was up on the roof. Understanding that in the first century, rooftops were really important in Israel. Very, um, semi-arid climate, uh, much like I grew up in Southern California, very, much like Southern California, the same, the Mediterranean climate is very similar, hot, Certain times of the year, uh, and, and they grew these great big grape arbors that would cover the roof and they used it for shade. They would go up on the roof. They didn't have air conditioning, so that would be a common gathering place, especially in the cool of the evening when they would go. And so when he says, let's go from here, and the reason why I think he went up on the roof is because there would have been fresh vines. They would have been pruning the vines. This was in the spring. Remember when he was crucified? It was in the spring and, and, would have been fresh clippings all over the ground. And and it, there would have been evidence of the fact that the vine dresser had been there because they commonly and routinely owned back the vines. Uh, there was a point to all of that as well. So in, in chapter 15, uh, verse 1, I'm going to read the first four verses as we get started here because this is a really good comparison. In passage to what we're looking at in Hebrews, Jesus says this. He says, "I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit." He and, and get this, and hang on to this. He says, "You're already clean, because of the word which I've spoken to you abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine." Neither can you, unless you abide in me. So he talks about this relationship, and he says, I am the source of life, I am the source of nourishment, and you must be in me in order to bear fruit. If you are not part of me, you're essentially dead wood. And we're going to look at that as we look at Hebrews here, but what he's saying is that he's the singular source of life. He's saying, if you're not part of me, you'll not have life, and if you don't have life... You can't bear fruit. It's not possible. Uh, again, metaphorically speaking, in, in terms of the kingdom and talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So when he says you're already clean, I want to I approach this passage with the fact that, uh, talk about the doctrine of sanctification. It's a reality in our lives. And when he said you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you, we have been declared holy. We have been declared clean. The moment that I released my life to Christ, the moment that I said I'm going to put my trust in you and the fact that you died for me, I was declared righteous and holy. I was declared without sin. Not only that, but I was declared pure. Alright? So this is what I'm about now in and in Hebrews. John here, it's not, this is not something that he's addressing to non-Christians. He's not talking about the world in this case, because that's the dead wood that he's talking about. The writer here, when he talks about, um, essentially bearing fruit, when he talks about chastening, chastisement, discipline, he's not talking about the world. He's talking, this is something that's reserved for God's people. As a matter of fact, he's very specific there and says that if you're not chastised by God, you don't belong to him. And so it's the same thing. If you see the, the the shades of the same here as to what Jesus is talking about there, and then what the writer is saying to the Hebrew believers, and we'll see that more as we go along. But uh, he says you're already clean. You have been sanctified. In Hebrews chapter 10, a couple of chapters ago, uh, in verse 10, he says, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. A reference to the cross a reference to having done business with him initially, we have been sanctified. The word sanctified, the Latin word for sanctified is sanctus. That's the Latin word for holy. We have been declared holy. That's his point. Then in, in Hebrews 10, 14, four verses later, the writer says, for the one offering he has perfected forever, those who are being sanctified. So, How does that reconcile? I have been sanctified. I have been declared holy. And now I am being sanctified. I'm glad you asked. He's going to bring out the fact that the trials that we go through, the things that we endure, the things that he is encouraging these first century Christians to look at, the the trials you're going through, the difficulty you have, is part of God's sanctifying work in your life. And if you are not being sanctified through the trials, you're part of it. it. The door is always open. And yet, as we look at this, there's positional sanctification and there's practical sanctification. The daily walk, as we're being conformed to his image, that happened through the process of sanctification, through the process of him conforming us to the image of his son. That's part of his plan. Again, this is central stuff, guys. This is central to understanding why we go through what we go through. And it's central to understanding our response ought to be as we go through it. Because it's not just willy-nilly, life is hard. Life is hard at times. But there's a point and a purpose to the difficulty. And that's what the writer wants to make sure these people understand and that we, by way of application, can come to a deeper understanding of God's work in our lives as well. So, I want to focus on the concept of pruning and fruit bearing here because our life does flow from him. We're not trimmings. We're not cuttings. We're not the branch. We're part of the branches that are joined to the vine. And that's where we get our life. It's where we get our it's where we get uh, all that we have to do with him. I, I love the fact that Jesus uses this as an example for the Christian life. So how do I bear fruit? How, what, what's involved in bearing fruit? Four things. First, you need to be a living branch. Dead branches don't bear fruit. Uh, that's the point that Jesus is making. It's the point the writer is making. Uh, you, you, you've got to be in him in order to bear fruit. You have to be connected to the vine as a branch. So that's the first thing. The second is you have to have a quality vine. Not all vines are created equal here. Winemakers for centuries have competed for quality vines. The quality of the vine determines the quality of the fruit. There's no better vine to be joined to than the one that has Jesus as the vine and and us as the branches. He is the quality. He's the real deal. So much out there in, in religious Bleh, uh, that that would try to draw us away from devotion to Christ that would try that would have us to believe that that there's this whole system and this whole deal Christians in the first century were looking at going back to Judaism which was nothing it had come to nothing it had been replaced the writer was very clear about that and so as we look at what it did, what is involved in in bearing fruit you have to be a living branch and then you have to have a quality vine and we do. The Third is that nourishment is necessary. That's why we're here. Uh, that's why we have devotions. It's why we spend time with the Lord. Because as we nourish our soul, uh, as we feed ourselves on the bread of heaven then we are nourished spiritually. And as we're nourished spiritually, we come to a deeper, a greater understanding of his work and his purposes in our lives. And that's part of, again, what the the writer is bringing out here in Hebrews. The fourth thing is by far the most important, and that's the aspect of pruning. Pruning. Now, the vine dresser would trim the dead wood from the vine. He talks about that. It's gathered up and thrown in the fire. We're not going to go there in, in the Gospel of John, but that's what he says. Uh, but they also cut back on the live wood because the plant is producing big leaves. All right. If you have been around grapes, and I think about Chuck and Joanne, you guys have like, what, 50 t- types of grapes in your in, in your place? Uh, is, but if you've been around grapes or viticulture, uh what happens is grapes grow really, really fast, and they grow so fast that what uh, the, the the vine dresser does is he goes and he actually prunes back the big leaves. If you're using it for cover on a trellis, there was a balance you wanted to have because they still grew fruit on the grapes as they did for shade, but they still had to cut them back because if all the nourishment is going to the to the leaves, there's not any nourishment left. For the fruit. So it, it was a balance that they had to, to to maintain there. But the desire was to produce good fruit by cutting back the vine. By cutting back the growth that is not necessary. And so the vine dresser, was that was his job. And, and in Hebrews chapter 12, the most extensive passage on discipline, we're looking at very much the same kind of a deal. We're talking about how God prunes us. We're talking about how he produces fruit in our lives. So imagine the thing that you're going through, uh, things hurting right now, uh, and see what comes through. That is the pruning. That's the discipline. That's the thing that he has in front of you. And you know what, folks? It looks different for me than it does for you. I love the fact that God, by by the Holy Spirit, yes, these are universal principles that we can put on, that we can wear as Christians, and yet he deals with us individually, doesn't he? And it's just wonderful in, in, in the way that I see walking with the Lord, how he comes to us individually. And that's part of what the writer's point here is he talks about, this is the produce, the fruit bearings, the produce, of an individual relationship with him. It's not something that is just, like I said, across the board. Yeah, the principle applies, and yet he comes to us differently through the things that we experience. All of that is to get to the text. This morning, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. He says, You've not yet resisted the bloodshed, striving against sin. We we ended here last week, remember? The writer's actually, he's giving them a gentle... He's saying, you're not dying, <laughs> the things you're going through. Uh, yet, what he does is he now, he moves from the rebuke to an exhortation. You guys know what an exhortation is? It's a strong encouragement. No, exhortation is not yelling at somebody and saying that that's you know part of what God wants to do. I, I remember as a young Christian, somebody was yelling at me, and I, I questioned why they were being kind of aggressive. And, and they said, well, I'm exhorting you. And I'm like... Mm, that doesn't feel like what I've been reading about with exhortation. It sounds like an excuse to holler at me and I'm just not going to buy it. But the point is, is that an exhort, the gift of ex- it's a spiritual gift. When, when somebody exhorts, my daughter was amazing, uh, and, and she had the gift of exhortation. She could tell people hard things. I've shared that with you guys before probably, but it, it, I would marvel, it's like, and, and they would, she'd, really hard things to her girlfriends. she she was gifted as a counselor and and all and 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 she would say hard things to them and they'd go wow thank you and and i I would just be blown away it's like if i said that to somebody they'd probably want to punch me and and yet that's that's what the he's exhorting that terminology the microphone cut now Verse 5, he says, and you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. So he quotes Proverbs 3, Proverbs three, eleven and 12 here. And he says, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and he scourges every son whom he receives. So we have from this passage, we see there are three options that we have as we walk through trials. The first is we can get angry with God. We can despise the chastity. We can despise the chastisement. Well, you know, why is God doing this to me? And I, I've seen people, uh, we were, I was talking with someone who had experienced the loss of a loved one, uh, the other day and, and was, what we were talking about was how people fall on both sides of that issue. Sometimes people get angry with God. Well, how come he, you know, da-da-da-da. But then there are also people who say, oh, Lord, you know, I'm just a big pile of hurt, and I need you. Those kind of things can polarize. He's saying we have the option to despise the chastisement. We have the, uh, the ability to despise the fact that he is doing this for our good. Uh, so we can become angry with him. We can be so uncomfortable that we take the wrong approach. The other thing he says here is that we can be discouraged, thinking that maybe God's mad at me. That's why I'm going through this. I've heard that a lot, and it breaks my heart when I hear that. Or, 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 or thinking, you know, I just don't know how I'm going to make it through this. This is just so hard. This is too big for me. I don't know, and, and I'm just discouraged. Or this trial has gone on for a long time. There are times we go through things where God doesn't bring resolution right away. There are times where it just hurts. There are times where we have to bear up. We have to, and we're called upon here and he talks about it, that we need to endure trials, don't we? And so we can become discouraged in them. We can, we can be angry with God. We can become discouraged and, and, and both of the, these options, what he talks about here is he said, you've forgotten. You've forgotten the truths that you've learned. You've forgotten the exhortation that he's dealing with you as with sons or daughters. And when we forget, when, when we get our eyes so thoroughly on the trial and off of the Lord, that can happen to us, even if we've been walking with the Lord for a long time. And he doesn't want to see that response. This is such a great passage to draw uh, this wonderful instruction from because the third thing is we come to a deepening understanding that we belong to Him, that we are branches in the vine, and that as sons and daughters, we look to Him for what He in His love wants to accomplish through the trial. That's the mature approach. Lord, I don't like it. I, this is painful. This hurts. This I'm uncomfortable. I don't know what to do. I'm bewildered. I mean, fill in the blank, folks. We've all lived in that place. And if we haven't, we will. And yet, we can come to a place, especially looking at how God's word applies to our lives, of saying, what are you doing in this? And so often what people, what the temptation is, is because it's painful, we think that God's not in it. No, he is in it. So, He's dealing with us on some things. I talked about last week. Oh, good. Somebody got that. <laughs> I talked about last week that, that about being approved. Hebrews 11 starts and ends with being approved, that the, the men of old found approval and, and, and all of that. And, and, and yet, in this section, we're looking at what God does when he doesn't approve of something in our lives. And, and so as we go through this, as we look at this, we're, we see that chastening is part and parcel of the Christian life. It is part of what God's revealed will is in our lives, the same way as a father with a son or a daughter. The point is, is God disciplines us, sometimes severely, because we're his sons or daughters. Is it always because of sin? No. Is it sometimes because of sin? Absolutely. There are times where he uses the chastisement to pry our fingers off of things we've got no business having our fingers on. And that's true. Look at Paul with the the, the guy in First Corinthians that was having a relationship, a sexual relationship with his stepmother, and and Paul said, I delivered such a one over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his soul would be preserved. And, and in Second Corinthians he kinda had to exhort him to let him back in he repented now now stop stop the chastisement <laughs> the whole story there but the point is is that this is a huge truth he cares so much for us that he takes the time to correct us and that's true his discipline is always always underline always motivated motivated by his love he if you are a child of the king if you are a christian if you belong to him he is not mad at you get that through your head he is not by the the, through the power of the covenant of grace he is no longer angry we store up wrath outside of christ that wrath is rolled away that's the work that's the power of the cross and so if he's not mad at me then what's going on shaping me. He's conforming me to the image of His Son. He's working in me. He's using these circumstances to come to bear in my life that He could do the work and have it stick. Because, you know, if I can change you, somebody else can change you back. But when God, through the things we're looking at this morning, when He changes a person, when He changes a heart, that's a permanent deal. That's something that we can hold on to. That's something that we can Rest in, because that's His work. The other thing is, let's face it, folks, our hearts are prone at times to wander. There are things that compete for our affections. There are things that compete for first place in our hearts, that that war between the flesh and the spirit that is ongoing as to who's going to have position on my heart, on the throne of my heart. The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And, and, and there are times where our hearts do wander. And he uses chastisement, he uses these things to draw us close, to pull us back in, to give us the ability to see him in the midst of it. Verse 7, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father doesn't chasten? He's encouraging them once again to endure. He's saying you need to bear up. It's not about getting God to get rid of the trial. It's about going through it. He never promises that he's going to keep us from trials, folks. He does promise to walk through it with us. Big difference because he wants to accomplish something in the midst of it. In Proverbs thirteen twenty four we read, He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. I don't know about you, but I remember raising my kids, I remember being a kid at the other end of the switch, I had to just go pick, which is never, you know, it's like if I got it too small, I had to go get another one. Um, but I remember, you know, we don't like it. Kids don't like being chastised. They don't like being disciplined. I remember getting a lot of pushback especially from my daughter because she's thinking stubborn. And some of us are too, aren't we? <laughs> and yet as a parent, as an imperfect parent, when I'm willing to put in the time, when I'm willing to be consistent with my discipline, when I'm willing to shape that child, there's fruit uh it, it saddens me when i look at some of the stuff in our postmodern culture our postmodern world where people you know they talk about moral relativism and, and you know what is right and wrong is no longer a clean line that it's fuzzy and blurry on both sides and and people raising kids in that manner where they're trying to decide all kinds of weird <laughs> stuff um oh, and i'm tempted to go into that i'm not gonna the point is we are chastised by God very much the same way as we would chastise our children. Look at the difference, though. If we, as imperfect humans, because sometimes we meet out too much, I remember talking to my buddy, and he was saying, "You know, don't discipline out of anger, John. You're gonna, you'll overreach." And, and it was just, it was a reminder for me. I mean, I had barked at my kids about something, and I was pretty angry about when, when they were young. But and it was just, I just received that because. It was a good exhortation. I needed to understand that I'm an imperfect dad. Yeah, my kid's best is what I want. How much more? How much more our father in heaven? And, And the writer's very clear here. He's saying, you know what? This is like an intimate exercise. This isn't something that he's just doing so he can plump that rubber stamp on you. Well, now I've got them handled and out of the way. No, he's individual. He's personal in his discipline, as a father with a child. Kids don't like it because it involves suffering. Welcome to the club. Welcome to Christianity. God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. There was a time where I I thought about that exhortation and I just realized, you know, his plan for my life is definitely not looking like my plan for my life. And so who's got the wrong idea? He does love you. He does have a wonderful plan for your life. And you know what? We have this little mental photo album that we have with what we picture our life to be. And I've come to the conclusion the sooner I get rid of that, the sooner I can get on board with what God wants to do, with what his program is, because life will hardly ever fit what I picture it to be. But he is good. His plan is so much higher. His work is so much more defined. His work is so much clearer to me as I comply and I cooperate with what he wants to do. That's part of his sanctifying work. That's part of what it is to be a branch in the vine. That he disciplines us, gives us the assurance that we belong to him. We've been adopted, folks. If you don't look at yourself as his child, go through and look at the powerful, powerful passages in the New Testament that define us as having been adopted into his family. And what that means is that we have all of the rights and privileges of a son or a daughter. We are part of the family, and that's how he treats us. It's a legitimate We are legitimately children of him. Uh, He To those who believe in him, to them he gave the power to be called sons of God. is what the Bible says. Verse 8, But if you're without chastening of which you all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate and not sons. So discipline is proof that one is his child. The lack of it is also proof, according to what we read here, that someone does not belong to him. Heavy words. I'm not going to try to defend that. Those, That's tough stuff. If you don't belong to him, how do you know? The point is many profess to believe in God, even to believe in Jesus Christ. This verse teaches that you're not his child if you have not been disciplined by him. How do you know if you've been disciplined by him? How do you know if you're in? Fruit the training that we go through or the lack thereof. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this in in verses 16 to 20. He says, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Obviously no. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, and thrown into the fire. So how do I know? Is my life fruitful? And I'm not talking about you have to be, you know, doing like Billy Graham and Phil football stadiums. I'm just saying that if I belong to him, there will be fruit. That if I am involved, if I have this love relationship, if I have let the weight of my life down, it will show, and that's the writer's point. It will show up. I, I can know, and I do know, folks, and it's like... You don't have to walk out of here with a question mark over your head, but you do have to understand that if you believe, you will be woodshed with dad. It's part of it. And if you don't the woodshed, you need to examine do I really belong to him? Am I part of this process? Is this process being worked out in my life? Because this process is not for unbelievers. This is not for Dead wood. It's for those of us connected to the. So he disciplines his own children, but he doesn't discipline the devils, essentially. Verse 9 Furthermore, we had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect or submitted to them, is how that is rendered. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Maybe not at first, when, when my earthly father disciplined me. I mean, I know what it's like to be a rebellious child, and some of us are rebellious in our relationship with the Lord. I want to encourage you, my friend, if you are in rebellion, understand one thing. God will, and you belong to him, God will shout as loudly into your life as he needs to to get your attention. Uh, I've shared with you guys before, when I raised my kids, I would I, I would tell them, look, guys, there's the short way and the long way. Now, I go to a Bible study like this, or uh, yeah, I'm, I'm reading, doing devotions, whatever it is, and, and the Lord speaks to me, and I, I take that and I say, Lord, I, I just want to incorporate that into my life. I want to walk in that truth. I want to understand you more. Or the long way is, is I just decide to blow it off and, and, and sometimes we do. Sometimes I do. And his chastising hand comes into play. Oh, no, 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 I'm not going to let you wander off that way. I'm going to pull you back in. And he'll use circumstances trials to do that. That's what the writer's talking about. This is a loving thing. This is not something that he's doing because he's into beating us up or making us live miserable lives that are uncomfortable and at odds with him all the time. That's not the writer's point. Quite the opposite. The thought is they were correcting us for our own well-being. Our parents did that. Uh, it, it, kids with discipline, uh, again, you just see it out there. Where if people or kids are not disciplined, if they're not chastised, if they're not subjected to discipline, the same kind of thing. who are totally they have no respect for authority. They don't respect teachers, they don't respect God. I mean, fill in the blank. It just goes, the list goes on and on and on. Much more. Again, take that parallel from earthly parents and kids to our heavenly father and us. The point is, without discipline, we'll tend to go down the wrong path. Uh, and that could eventually destroy us or it could harm others around us. So we who have submitted to our earthly fathers... Again, how much more as we submit our lives to him? What he says, uh, the option here is to not submit your life to him. And he talks about death. Should we not rather be in subjection to the Father spirits and live? The Unbelieving world is not in subjection to him. And the only other option is death. Sobering. Verse 10, for they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, for he, but he, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. There's that concept of sanctification. That concept of he is conforming us. That concept of he is transforming our lives. Our Heavenly Father always disciplines us the right way. Unlike sometimes early parents. Uh, I I know I had a very heavy-handed stepfather. He was, he was off the, off the rails. (laughs) And, And he did not know how to discipline. And, and I had a terrible example. As a young Christian, I had a hard time coming to an understanding of the Father heart. It wasn't until my kids got old enough, and I realized how invested I was in them that I began to understand God's heart in this. This is dear to my heart. This is really important to me personally. This is a, an area that I've walked in that that I had real struggles in, just because of my own upbringing. And yet, God's healed that. He, he's taken those those terrible experiences, and I've been able to lay those at the foot of the cross and to say, you know what, Lord, I can live a life as a whole person because of the sanctifying work that you're doing in me presently. Not about what he's done. It's not about what he's going to do. It's what is he doing today? What's he doing in your heart now? Verse 11. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful, or the New American Standard renders that sorrowful. We don't like it. I mean, I don't like that any more than I like getting my teeth drilled at the dentist. I mean, you know, kind of sick to think, oh yeah, I just can't wait for God to chasten me again. I can't wait for him to correct me. I can't wait for his disciplining hand to come in and for me to, because it's uncomfortable. It's not pleasant. And he knows that. It's You're not being unspiritual by saying, God do do this. But I trust you. That's where the difference is. Trusting him in the midst of Interesting, he says it's sorrowful, but then afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Interesting, I was reading, it was from a university, I was reading some stuff that was talking about viticulture, which is the science of being a vine dresser, um, working with vines, working with grapes. And there are two processes involved in developing a healthy vine. Pruning and training it has to do with removing excess or unhealthy growth. So, you know, the dead wood and, and the big leaves and all that. It's connected to it, but it's the process of a, a process of applying pressure to bend the vine. They call it a cane to direct its path towards the best support to produce fruit. What was really interesting to me I read up on this one time and, and what the what the the vine dresser does is he takes this because you want to train that vine to follow the trellis, to follow the support. And what he does is he, you you develop, it's something that's something you automatically get, but you develop a feel for it. And they would bend the, the, the cane to where you can feel a snapping going on. And there's actually a snapping. There's a breaking inside. It does not break the bark. And that's how they know when they've gone far enough that now I've got that trained. It'll go the the direction I want it to go, but I haven't broken it. And I thought, what a great example, what a great metaphor for how God deals with us. Because it's not pleasant. Because we are being trained. But he's not trying to break us. He's training us. He's wanting our lives to go the direction that he wants them to go. And in the process, it gets uncomfortable. There are times where we question, what are you doing? I don't understand. Please give me illumination because I, I just need to understand what's going on. And there are times where it goes on. The people here in the first century were going through a lot of difficulty. And what the writer's doing is saying, look, there's a point to this. You're not just going through difficulty for the sake of difficulty. You're not going through it because God's just into seeing you get all beat up and all of that. Yes, there are times where the trial doesn't relent. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the fact that the things we go through don't always end well, do they? And yet God will be glorified in it regardless. And that's something that as we go along, folks, we just come to places where we have to trust. Lord, I don't understand this. I don't understand why. I don't understand what you're doing exactly. Please reveal it to me in your time and in the means trust. So as we wrap up here, and we're not going to go any further in, in Hebrews, but I want to look at three good reasons to not lose heart. Why shouldn't I just cave when I go through trials? Just give up when the pruning comes. And the first, is, it's actually from what we looked at last week, uh, is because Jesus didn't give up as our great example. Uh, verse 3 here in Hebrews 12, uh, he says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. He, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and when he had made atonement for sin, sat down. Remember that. What, it's, what the writer is saying is, look, I went through it, but Jesus went through it way more than you ever will, and he endured it. So, one of the reasons we don't just toss it in and give up is we realize that our great hero went through it, that he went all the way, that he, in the garden, under such stress, sweating drops of blood came to a point of saying, Father, not my will, but your will be done. The Bible tells us that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. That doesn't mean that he had been disobedient. What it meant was that he went through things, and as the writer's saying here, he understood that there was a point to it. Not my will, but your will be done. That's a good thing for us to come to when we don't understand exactly what God's doing. And Jesus did, but there's a mystery in that. Anyway, I won't, won't belabor that anymore. Uh, the point is, you think, well, well, that's easy for him. Really? Remember, he emptied himself. Everything he went through, he went through as a human. Perfectly obedient. We have the ability to say, I'll trust God to accomplish what he wants to do in me. And sometimes that's a hard thing to say. And yet, that's the high road. The purpose of the trials is to get through them. Again, not necessarily to deliver us from them. That's uh, part of what he does as he transforms us. He renews our mind. He, we We get the endurance. We get the ability to say, not so much, Lord, get rid of this pressure. Get rid of this trial. But show me how to bear up and how to bear up and do well within it. That's why I've told you guys many times, I can't change the circumstances, but I can show you from God's word and this is a primary passage how to live well within them. And that's what he wants to do. That's why we look differently when we go through trials. It's part of his transforming work, part of his sanctifying hand. We cooperate or we become angry or discouraged and we and we forget that he really does have this. He really my life truly is in his hands. And it really is going to work out. It's worth it when we don't understand or when, when he reveals that we've been looking at it the wrong way to simply say, Father, am I looking at this wrong? Is there something you want to show me that I'm not doing, that I'm not receiving because it hurts? I know my kids, I had to discipline them less as they grew up because they understood where the edge of the yard was. And it's the same thing with us as we grow. So ask him. He says, you know, if you being evil, give good gifts. How much more will your father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Ask him to illuminate your mind, ask him to reveal it, ask him to work in you, to transform you, to, to give you an understanding. Not right away. Endurance comes in. That's why he says you need to endure this. You need to go through it. The second is because your father is training you, not destroying you. Why do I not just give up? Because we understand that he's training us. He's not destroying us. He's not... Out to get us. From verse 7, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there that a father doesn't chasten? The word chastening there is not just punishing, but it's the word that's used for training a child. It's, it's an upbringing term. It's a, it's a parental thing that he's getting at. Because it hurts, we can think that he's punishing us, and that's a mistake. Sometimes he is. Generally, it's how I interpret the pain that's essential. Um, do I see it as something that, that God's main job is to get rid of it? Or do I see it as he is training me? Good point. The third thing, why don't I just walk away, give up, throw my hands in the air? Because the peace that we're looking for in our souls is the result of this process. You want to have peace? Peace. Cooperate. We're looking for peace. One of the great mistakes we make is in thinking the process described here is optional. It's not optional. If you belong to him, you'll go through it. Good advice, cooperate. Peace is the product of a changed character. That's what he's doing. Vine surgery that we're talking about, is that's the point of of what God's doing, is he's going to give us a changed character. He's conforming us. He's transforming us. He's producing peace in my soul through the trial. From verse 11, he he talks about, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When he's training us, he, he's pruning the big leaves in our lives in order to produce good fruit. Trust that he's working. Stop asking him to fix it. Ask him to reveal himself to you in new ways. Wrapping up this morning, i give you three pieces of advice as you deal with trials in your life. And these are things from my own life. The first is Difficult. Start by thanking God for it. And that's not a trite religious thing to say. It's true. As a young Christian, I would read James chapter 1 where he says, Consider it all joy, brothers, when you go through various fiery ordeals. And then he goes on to talk about what they produce. The message is in total agreement with what God is doing in us here. You thank Him for Lord, thank you that I do belong to you. And you are giving me context. You are giving me understanding. I at least understand that this is from you and that you didn't forget about me. That this is something that's intentional. This thing I'm going through. It hurts. But you're good. And I thank you for the trial. That's hard, guys. I'm not going to sit here and pretend it's not. Sometimes it just plain hurts, and we've got to bear up and just endure it. Part of that is learning to thank him because he is doing his work in it. The shifting of the mind in this area is what amounts to maturity as a Christian. As our mind shifts from, take it away, I don't want it, take it away, it hurts, I don't want to do this, I, I don't want to cooperate, I'm angry, I'm discouraged... Instead, thank you, Lord. Remember the guys in the book of Acts? They got hauled in before the religious leaders, and they said, we don't want you sharing this Jesus anymore. And they said, and they walked away saying, you know, who are we going to obey? These guys are God. I'm paraphrasing, but I love what they, when they left, they were talking among themselves, and they said, Jesus counted us worthy to go through this and to get beat up by these guys. You know, And they're all excited about it. And I love that attitude and that mindset. And I want more of that in my life. That That's understanding that God knew that they were going to get beat up. God knew that they were going to get, you know, these guys are going to try to shush them. That's a, that's a Greek word, shush. Um, he knew that. They knew that but they understood it in the context of the greater context of God was moving, God was working, he was doing something, and he's doing that in our lives. Very often he's wanting to accomplish something we have no idea of until we endure it and we go through it and we come out the other end and go, oh, that's what you were doing. I don't know how many times it's been the case in my life. I won't see it. And yet that's what endurance is about. The second piece of advice Is learn the small lessons along the way as they come. Don't wait for the big overwhelming circumstance. You know, this is something that, again, it's training. Training involves effort. If we're running this race, it revolves, it involves practice. And so, as we go through the little trials, I call them little foxes. I think about uh, in the Song of Solomon. It, Solomon talks about the little foxes in the vineyard. They're always nipping at the base of the of the vines. It, you know, they're trying to. And if you let that go, they'll destroy the the grapes. But usually, they're just a nuisance. And yet, as we are having little foxes pop up, and they pop up all the time in our lives. As we become practiced at dealing with minor trials, we are far less likely to get knocked off our pins when the big one comes. When the phone call comes in the middle of the night, when you find out what the bank said, how come you're overdrawn, whatever it is. When you go to the doctors and they call you back with the test results, you know whatever it is, we go through things. You're far more likely to bear up well in trials when you weather the daily stuff with him in mind if you don't things grow when we leave his disciplining hand untended it's easy for us to get overwhelmed it's easy for us to have the large trial come and to not bear up with these things in mind. The last thing is trust God for other people's chastisement. Um, pastoral advice. It's none of your business. Truly, there are times where somebody I know is going through it and I don't take, if the, if I believe the Lord has shown me why they're going through it that is not an invitation to go meddle in their lives and to get in their face or to get in, involve myself in their affairs. What that usually is, is a prompting from the Holy Spirit, if it's accurate, I mean, I can make it up too, but if it's accurate, it's a prompting from the Holy Spirit to pray for that person. And folks, I don't get in a hurry about things. I don't, you know, you are his sheep, you are not my sheep. And I am just going to trust God for the trials that other people are going through. And I'm not, that it's not my place. It, I, I, I may have shared with you guys, I think I did, but when I was brought onto the board of the, the Calvary Chapel I was at in, in California for 20 whatever years, and, and I'll never forget the, the senior pastor, um, Bob, uh, he, that first board meeting I went to, he, he got up in my face, was sitting in a chair, and, and, and he was, I don't know, probably six inches shorter than I was. <laughs> and, and, but he was bigger than life when he came and he put his finger in my face and he said, now listen and I was like, yes sir um, he said, these are, and it's some of the best advice I ever got these are not your sheep you love them you pray for them you leave them alone They're God's sheep. And it's a privilege to do what you're doing. And I just looked at him, I felt tears welling up in my eyes, and I just said, got it. Great advice. Not just for church leadership, but for all of us. Love people. Allow them to go through the trials that they're going through. And if you feel like you have some insight, that's not an automatic invitation to share. It's absolutely an invitation to pray. There may be a time, I mean, different relationships and all. I mean, spousal relationships, times where we talk things out and all that. I'm not saying that you never say, what I'm saying is use wisdom. Know that you don't have an inside track on what God's doing in the life and in the heart of another. Finally, it's Christmas. It's a time for joyous celebration. For God's people, it's, it's a time for celebrate. We celebrate the incarnation, the time when God became man. I, I'm really looking forward to Tuesday night. Uh, I just am uh, excited about our Christmas Eve service here and and all that that entails. That's as it should be. Stacy and I were at a dinner the other night for a, a, a nonprofit that I'm on the board on, and. Uh, one of the people said, yeah, I want to go around the room and um, uh, and each of us, let's just say what we want for Christmas." And I was like, "Oh great, I'd love to spotlight. <laughs> no, I don't. But you know what was just on my heart is connected to what I 'm talking about here, and it got to be my turn and I said, You know, I just want I know that this is a time of year where people are hurting. There are times where there's an empty place at the table that maybe for years was occupied and somebody that's gone on to heaven or, or, or not. Or there's times where we miss those that we can't be around. There's, there's a whole plethora of reasons where this can be a stressful, hard time of year. And I just shared with the group the other night, I said, you know, my heart is that I'd just be able to give the love of Jesus to the people that are within my sphere. The people that I have influence with, and and that that truly is, it stays in my heart. We, I understand that this is this can be a tough time of year, and we don't know what God's doing in somebody else's life. We don't know often where they're at, and I would just encourage you as people are going through difficulty, maybe God's doing something in that through what we're talking about this morning, if they know Him. But just love them. Come alongside. Understand that God's hand in someone else's life is between them and Him. And and take the advice I got um, when I was brought onto the the board of the church at Calvary Chapel Gridley and and Bob put his finger in my face and said, you love them. You pray for them. And leave them alone. Let God do the work. Let him do the work in you. Let him have his sanctifying work. Let him produce the fruit. If you're in the vine and you're a branch, let him do it. And if there's an aspect of arrogance or pride that is keeping you from that, lay it down. Let him work. And enjoy the fruit that comes in your life as a result. Let's pray. Father, just oh, what a brief look here at, at godly discipline, at loving discipline, at loving chastisement that all of us go through. And Lord, I pray that as you... by